Welcome, you have found Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And this is our gift to you in this season, an invitation to four weeks of winter reflections. Because while creation experiences winter, spring, summer, and fall, so do our souls. So come and sit with us for a few stories and readings that we have chosen to give you time to process this season as we prepare for the new year. The episodes are a little shorter, the space a little quieter, but we hope these words, brief as they are, resonate with you this December as much as they have with us. Get comfy, friends. Here we go. Here we are in the middle of Christmas week, just a few days away from Christmas itself. And it's an interesting week because it's got so many layers of completely ordinary things, right? Like we still have to remember to change the toilet paper roll, pick up the milk, wrap the presents. And yet there's all this extraordinary there lurking under the wrapping paper. So much beauty, twinkle lights and hot chocolate and out of the ordinary moments, which reminds me of what it must have been like that week for Joseph and Mary. So much ordinary, a pregnant mom, tired, sore back, aching belly, tired feet, a new married couple, journeying toward the utterly extraordinary moment of giving birth to a king, conceived by a god, given to a mom, entrusted to a new husband. Everything about it is out of the ordinary. The perfect segue for all the things we love most on this podcast. So as you reflect on this week and where we are, the first reading today comes from a book I wrote called The Middle Matters. And it's an essay called My Faith Leaks. Sometimes on Monday mornings, you can look up and find yourself in what feels like a tiny dinghy surrounded by vast waters, and those waters are choppy. You get the kids off to school, and you're running on time and in a good mood, and then you have to walk back into your house or into your cubicle at work or into that classroom, and there are going to be bumps waiting for you. There are going to be people or news headlines or medical test results or phone calls from the school that make the water around you swell and sway and make you feel uneasy inside your little boat. The headlines are loud these days, and the storm raging across this globe that we all call home can feel scary and desperate and as if there's no safe harbor to go to. Feelings are on the rise, as is the temperature of our political climate. On the weekends, I take refuge in stacks of laundry and cinnamon rolls for breakfast with the kids and a good book in the late afternoon. The louder it gets in the world around us, the safer this ordinary house feels with its bathroom floors always covered with grit from the soccer fields and the cleats left lying along the entrance hall walls. I anchor myself to this house and its slow rhythm of Play-Doh parties and Xbox battles because here I know my name. And the people here know my name and they love me with my hair that's long overdue for a cut and my jeans I've worn four days in a row. But on Monday mornings, those anchors go out into the world and I'm left alone with my thoughts and my work and the sometimes shouty emails and deadlines. And I can start to feel like I'm sinking. 
I listen to the stories of my sisters that come in like Morse code through Facebook and Twitter and text messages and chips and hurts. And if we want to take our friendships to the next level, we have to lean in and resist the temptation to lean out when the conversations get hard. Friendship is the long love letter of listening, even and especially when the conversations get uncomfortable. Open palm conversations instead of clenched fist accusations. Because this is what a body does. It asks the other parts if they hurt and then why and then what can we do. And then it listens and then it acts. That will probably look different for each of us, but each of us will likely have a chance to act, to move closer toward friends in pain instead of putting distance between us. And that kind of action can change each of us. I don't know exactly what that will look like for you, but I do know what happened a few years ago when a couple in our church shared with a small group that they were feeling desperate and frayed and financially stressed because their delivery business relied on having a car and their only car was broken down. I remember clearly how the instant reaction from the group was to pray for them and prayer is necessary, but sometimes what you really need is a loner car. So while people moved forward to pray, the wife's eyes welled up with defeat, and my husband told me afterward that's when he knew that prayer in action looked like loaning them our second car, so he did. And in that moment, we became a body instead of just a support group. So what I'm saying is, I don't know the exact conversation God wants us all to have, you and me and our neighbors and the online spaces, but I do know that I want to go there together in a shared car. I want to talk about the things that ache in other parts of the body that Christ died for. I want to listen well, and after asking, I want to get about doing. And still, change is slow, and hurts can run deep, and I've looked around and wondered where Jesus is. Where is He in the headlines and the deadlines and in our families and sometimes even in our own bodies and definitely in our global church? Where is Jesus on the days when it feels as though He has fallen asleep on the job? I ask him with all the arrogance of my stamped foot, my tiny mortal stamped foot that forgets itself and demands answers from its creator. Have you ever thought that? Have you turned on the news this week and wondered what on earth is going on in the world? With all its pain and conflict and fear and so much accusation and pointing fingers and deep hurt that there have been seasons I've stopped watching it altogether. And Jesus, I don't know if I can trust him when I can't seem to find him in all the loud shouting. It seems there's always something new to shout about, about whether it's opposing opinions about refugees or airstrikes or the terror unfolding in our schools. All the fear and the pointing fingers and the conversations I don't know how to have. I want to say things that help, but instead I end up taking naps because it's too much and I'm too little. I'm too little, I tell him. Where are you? I demand. Get up and help us already. Because there are so many days that I can't make sense of this world he designed and that we have broken. And my faith feels like too little putty. I'm trying to stuff into a crack in the bottom of my leaking boat. But the crack is too big for me and my hands are too little and my faith keeps letting the water seep in. No matter how desperately I work to plug the holes in what I believe. Wake up, Jesus. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, I say. I'm saying these words in my head while we're getting ready for church. 
airstrikes have been launched overseas, and I'm praying for my friends who have family in the military. And I'm praying for the organizations on the ground in the target country that have staff praying just as hard that they will escape being listed among any civilian casualties. So much at stake on so many sides, and every hurt voice haunts me. How do we begin to absorb it all, understand it all, empathize with it all? It's so impossible that it's immobilizing. And then, then it hits me, the obvious, how did I miss it? I'm standing in front of the mirror with a curling iron in my hand when I remember that, of course, I'm not the first one. Of course, I'm not the first one to stand desperate in a boat, desperately afraid of the storm, wondering why in the world Jesus is asleep on the job. Those first shaky disciples and I, we look out at the waves and the dark, angry clouds, and we're so afraid of what's coming. We want to control it or outrun it or survive it, and all our faith is slipping through our fingers and our boats are wobbly and our Savior is asleep. I stood in front of the mirror and I made myself remember the story. Jesus wasn't asleep because he didn't care. He was asleep because he wasn't afraid. This is the part where my throat starts to get choked up and I put down the curling iron and I just stare into space and I can see two strong hands cover mine as I scrabble at the bottom of my leaky boat, two hands that cover mine and cover the leak and I'm not in a little boat anymore. I'm standing on the solid ground of a wooden floor constructed by a trustworthy carpenter. I can't tell you exactly how I got there. I just know that Jesus doesn't merely plug holes. He builds floors and bridges, and they stretch for mile after trustworthy mile. You can jump up and down on them. You can let your kids ride their bikes and their scooters on them with all the neighborhood kids. You can make your bed on them, and you can picnic in the very center where the beams connect groove to groove in pools of sunshine. I don't have easy answers to the hard questions. Whether they're on the news or coming from your doctor or your kid's teacher or your coworker or a dear friend, I have only the hope of a hand in mine, the hand of this man, Jesus, who isn't afraid and who builds things that don't sink, especially on Mondays. So I take him by the word and the hand, and I take deliberate steps out of the familiar and onto the invitation built by his own example of putting his actions where his mouth was. He didn't just talk about loving us, delivering us, rescuing us. He up and left home and moved into the neighborhood. He stepped into our skins and our stories so that he could understand us, relate to us, connect with us from the inside out, literally. Listeners, I have a poem to share with you. The poet is Mary F. C. Pratt, an American poet, a contemporary writer, and the poem is called Writing a Sermon, December 23rd. Drove to Boston, four hours in wet snow, already tired, late flight coming in, and I'm preaching Christmas Day. Something about snow geese, maybe, 
the way they chained the landscape even after they've flown away, the way God changed it once by making human footprints. Half the world is here waiting for planes. A tall kid in a baseball bat slouches around, looks at his watch, drinks a Coke. Passengers from France are surfacing. The kid spots a first-class woman in a suit, crisp and red as a poinsettia, dances on his toes, hollers, Here, Mom, over here! A thin woman from the back of the plane stands still as the last tree in the lot, touches one enameled fingertip to a shadowed eyelid, shoulders a cheap vinyl bag. Roaring into the crowd, did he ride his Harley through this snow? a man in a motorcycle jacket who has not forgotten her. The lights come on all over town. The plane from Lisbon lands. The watchers shift and hum. A tiny black-eyed boy breaks away, screaming, Poppy! Poppy! Runs through the no-unauthorized personnel barrier as if he's authorized. Throws himself at an old man carrying an umbrella, a paper sack. Poppy drops his burdens, raises up the child. I see 10,000 white geese. I see starlight on the snow. The plane from England touches down, taxis in, the doors open. When, after all these months, I see my son, I know that together we have one face, the face of God, of someone being born. Friends, we have shared (laughs) these weeks of readings, a perspective on the season that isn't always happy, isn't always merry, and yet here we are just a couple days away from Christmas Day. And I do wish you a Merry Christmas. I wish you a Happy Christmas, because it is an extraordinary day. (laughs) And I hope that even as we have taken time to listen to the harder things or the sadness or the coldness of this winter, our hearts and your hearts have been prepared to to receive the joy of Christmas, which is Christ himself. So Merry Christmas, friends. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.